Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Joining the Dots is a podcast from the makers of Huck Magazine, brought to you in association with Size. Huck Magazine is a publication that, since 2004, has told stories from the fringes. It's about activists and artists of every creed and colour. And here at Joining the Dots, we meet the creators of those cultures, finding out what draws us together in an increasingly chaotic age. Andrew Cotton is the most renowned big wave surfer these islands have ever produced. Growing up in the southwest, he quickly realised that he was drawn to powerful waves and that he loved to surf the biggest swells that the UK could throw at him. We met with Andrew as he recovered from a life-threatening spill in Nazare when a huge wave battered him, held him down and broke his back. Andrew! Yes. A real pleasure. And this is going to be a very funny conversation because I'm your archetypal landlubber. Can't swim. I get seasick. And I'm fucking terrified of the deep sea. <laughs> so this will be an interesting conversation for me. But I'm curious, how does a kid from Devon get into surfing? Because in my perspective, from my perspective, it's always been an American thing. So tell me yeah. how a you know, British kid gets into surfing. Well, we're, we're in Ireland, in the, in the North Atlantic. We've got, like, goodness how many surfable beaches all around the, all around the country, from, like, Land's End to John O'Greats. I, I was lucky enough to be born, brought up in North Devon. Local beach, started surfing, I think it was my kids. Um, my mum my sort of took, took us down to the beach and got us in at the weekends. So you would have seen other people already surfing. It wasn't like based on any romantic American thing or any or Beach Boy <laughs> records or anything like that. No, it was. Uh, I think I was like I was super hyperactive and uh, had bad asthma when I was little, and it was swimming as much exercise as possible, outdoors as much as possible, and surfing was just cheap and accessible. Yeah, because I guess if you're near water, it's very cost-effective, right? Right. Once you got a board, yeah, Bob's your uncle. Yeah, board, wetsuit, and there you go, you're away. And um, like I think the doctor said that it was really good to swim, was good for my breathing. So I'd swam a lot, but I was kind of getting bored of it. And so my parents just thought maybe it was like a, another good thing to get me in the sea, burn off a bit of energy, and sort of keep me from trashing the house, I suppose. <laughs> when you said bored of it, I was going to say no pun intended. But what age would you have been then? Um, Seven, eight, and then it was just from that minute I can remember like loving it. I can actually remember it was like an Easter weekend. I was at Salton Sands, which is the local beach. 
It was freezing. I rented a wetsuit and a board from the, like, the rental shop down there. And my parents just sat in the car, dab with the paper. And I like, was like, I was like, I was down the beach surfing. It must have been so cold, but I was just like addicted straight away. How big a scene was it back then? North Devon, there's a surf scene, you know, there's, there's been, we've had like a, a Croyd Surf Club was about, has been about since 79. So there's a scene, it was like obviously a small one, like in my school I went to, like a, there wasn't, there was, there was like a handful of surfers. And again, excuse my ignorance, but when I say scene, I'm imagining like American beach parties and that. I mean, did the guys get together on the beach? Are you listening to music? What kind of music are you guys listening to? No, was that a part of it at all? No, it wasn't. You know, like, and obviously it is, and it was as you grow up. But at that point, you know, then at that point, then it's just I was just enjoying being outdoors. To go through that, like, I think I remember my parents thinking, oh, you know, like, I was like purple, like so cold. And, but still like, oh God, I can't wait to go back next weekend. And they're like, guys, this kid's crazy, you know? Like, so that's why black people don't do it. Let <laughs> <laughs> me fast forward a few years, because I was doing a bit of homework and I read a funny encounter you had with your careers officer. Tell me how that went down. So straight away, like I wanted to be a professional surfer um, as a kid. And unlike a lot of other sports, I suppose it wasn't really recognised as a career. And then when, so when I sort of said to my careers officer, I wanted to be a surfer, it was just, you know, like it was just, you can't, there's nothing that doesn't exist. You know, you can't do it. So there was no way to become one, which I was just like, well, hell, like, how can there not be? I'm sure there is. And they're like, nah, that's not. But were you aware of any professional surfing at that time? Yeah, there was guys professional surfing and there's obviously the world tour and, you know, and all, and all that stuff back then. And, but I suppose there was no, like, uh, yeah, like how do you, even now, I don't know how you become a professional surfer. I don't know. You have to be bloody good, I'm well, guessing, right? <laughs> or lucky. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm like... thinking good. You've got to be good ultimately. <laughs> you've, got to be, you know, you've got to be able to deliver the fucking bollocks. But, <laughs> but there was a slight diversion before you became professional, right? Plumbing. Yeah. Well, so, so, what, so what I did is I left school. I left school at 15. I, I wasn't very good at school. So I left at 15 and I decided that although I couldn't become a professional surfer or got told I couldn't become a professional surfer, I wanted to work within the surf industry. So I started making surfboards at a local surfboard factory, which for me, it was like, it was that ultimate dream because although I wasn't a professional surfer, I was earning money, like everyone in the factory, all we did is want to surf. So we worked flexible hours, depending on the surf conditions. And the factory shut every winter for three months. So we just traveled. So like I'd work all summer, earn a bit of cash. I'd surf a lot at home anyway. And then come December, January, February, March, we'd go off, like travel. And I, I was doing that from, 15 up until about 25 and then at 25 what kind uh, of places how far are you going at this time? Uh, when, when they all ended up like i found my niche very quickly i realized that i was better in bigger waves and although that like, a lot of my mates were way better surfers than i am like as if they could do all the moves and the like more uh, gymnastic or you know like quick and nimble i suppose when the waves got bigger i got better and they got worse so like I ended up focusing on Hawaii. I spent a few times, went a few seasons in Hawaii, um, West Australia, like places where you get bigger, bigger waves. So I sort of focused on that. What um, the hell were you doing to make that kind of money back then, dude? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but when I say like, you know, so I worked all all year, like ten months, yeah. nine months, and then like when, when I went to Hawaii. You're standing in the backpackers. I was eating noodles every day. I was living off like nothing. We used to sit. We used to wait at the supermarket because um, at 9 p.m. 
they they just discount or throw away all the food that one eat, you know, like and you just we live off that. Like I was living on you know, it's all it's not it's not like living it up like Right, you're not in yeah. hotels and all that, right. <laughs> not living up on the Ritz for three months, no. No, it's pretty budget and the focus was just just You did the Hawaii thing before you started to explore big waves in Ireland, is that right? You know, you always think everything's better. I think we do it as British people, like always it like it's always America or Australia is always better. It's the goal, it's the dream. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. nothing and and my my sort of um, you know, like my, I had I had three months off, and I wanted to be in the warm, and I wanted to like get myself in better, and I had like usually like a couple grand saved up, so I'd spend that. So um, yeah, I always just you just assume that you, know, you want to check those places off the list, you know, like you, know, you need to you, like everyone needs to go to Hawaii, you know, like if you're a surfer, right? You know, so it's like, it's the holy grail. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Um, so yeah, they're the, they're the places to go. It wasn't like the, the when I started looking closer to home is when um, is when I got a real job really. So I retrained. I had my midlife crisis at twenty five. Um, quit my surfing, sort of you know retrained as a plumber. Um, you know, parents were stoked. You know, well you know got a proper job. He's got a job <laughs> like, now. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh great, I'm not gonna have to pay for him forever. You know, like or he's not gonna have to live at home. But um, you know, so. And that's when it was like, you know, I didn't have three months off a year, you know, I, but I could get windows of time. Yeah, like a weekend surfer. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Which and, you obviously and, didn't want to be. No, well, you don't want to be that. But it's, it's, that helped me focus on, on how good Europe is. Yeah, tell me about that, because I would never think about surfing. I mean, I know people do it in Cornwall, you know, I'm hip, hip to that. But then this thing about Ireland, how did you explore the big waves in Ireland? How well, do you physically do that? I met a, a guy... Because uh, I was doing at, at this point as well, or just in my early twenties, mid twenties, I was doing like the contest scene, the UK like professional contest scene, um, and I was doing badly in it. I think I didn't really, but I, I did it. Um, and I met this guy called Al Manny, and he was saying to me, he, he wanted a big wave trip to Madeira, so we spent a month in Madeira, um, and the waves were terrible. And we had this conversation where he was saying that um, we would have been better off spending a month in Ireland. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, yeah, like, definitely. So, um, yeah, he, we, we, uh, he said, oh, that's big swell, come, you know, come over. And I, and I did, and, and he was right. Like, Ireland, it was like, you know, yeah, it was freezing, it was empty, it was isolated, um, but the waves were amazing, you know. Give me an idea, what kind of, how big are these well, waves? What are well, I think it gets massive. It's, um, and, you know, at this point in time, like, the wetsuit technology was just coming on. They were, like, 654 wetsuits with built-on hoods. And, you know, so the rubber and the, the things you need to, to hang out and spend time in the water was all coming on. Um, and it was relatively unknown, I suppose. And um, we, like, I was already, like, sort of on this... Like, I loved big waves. I just liked it. You know, like, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be a professional big wave surfer. It's just like, oh, I like this, so I'm going to do it. And he, he we, like, we've been watching these videos from uh, Hawaii of, like, Laird Hamilton towing in with jet skis, and we've been watching it on YouTube, and we're like, okay, well, let's, let's buy a jet ski, and, you know, how hard can it be? And it just sort of went from there, really. So would you have played a part in kind of opening up Ireland as a kind of, 
surf, for surf possibilities? Uh, no, there's there's huge. You know, there's a, like, there's always been a scene there. It's definitely got busier like the last the last ten years, um, but there has always been a crew like an undercore like underground core crew of surfers there. So they all hate you now. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah. I always go there with respect and you know and loads of love, you know. So. And and it is it is got a lot busier, but then surfing's getting busier, and and um, actually the technology is allowing it to become more, you know like cheap wetsuits with which are good wetsuits, and so therefore more people can afford to do it. And and once you've got your wetsuit and your equipment, the ocean's free. So. And the other thing that surprised me is this: that okay, you've hit me to Ireland, and I'm aware of Hawaii and California, but the last place I would have thought you'd have gone to is Portugal. You you end up in Portugal in search of bigger waves. Yeah, it's, it was kind of a weird turn of events, really. Like, I was getting a little bit of media coverage in Ireland, and then we got, we got a phone call from this American guy uh, called Garrett McNamara. So he's, he's, like, one of my, like, childhood heroes. He's, like, the, the ultimate big wave guy or whatever, and he's one of the guys that I'd have looked up to massively. Surf royalty. Yeah. Um, so he's, like, just over 10 years older than me, and... And he rings up and he's in Europe and he's sort of saying, you know, can you drive a jet ski? And I kind of, like, bullshit it, really, because I, I could, but I couldn't. <laughs> I could, but probably not that good. And I wasn't, definitely wasn't that confident. I'd had a few, like, shockers in Ireland, like I'd lost a ski at one point and had to get rescued and, like, I'd, I'd had a few bad, bad calls on my part. And he asked me to come and do safety for him and... And I just saw it as an opportunity. And is that where he broke the record? That's, yeah, so I, yeah, he broke the record, yeah. So I, I we, he, that was 2010, I went there, I was out of my depth, I blagged it, I, somehow I pulled it off. Um, he was quite, he actually quite liked me and he was like, okay, yeah, don't just do the safety, can you start now towing me? Um, and yeah, like things just sort of snowballed and then the waves there get just gigantic, it's just mental. And again, compared to Hawaii, because I always understood the biggest waves were in Hawaii, but yeah. that's probably my ignorance. No, well, no, it's because that's, it's that thing, isn't it? Like, it's the biggest waves where the person's shouting loudest. You know, <laughs> like, you know, like, they're saying, yeah. okay, well, this is the, but... But you're telling us that Portugal's where it's at. Uh, Portugal is, is, it's the new forefront. Well, actually, do you know, I'd say Europe. Europe really? Damn, Europe, man. Europe is now the forefront of big wave surfing. And it's, like, now... Whereas, you know, when I was growing up, we all went to, to Hawaii, you know, and spent all winter there. And now you're getting probably big wave surfers, professional big wave surfers from all over the world coming to Europe, coming to Ireland, coming to Portugal for the winter. You know, and because it's, it's the perfect training ground. It's big a lot. The Atlantic has massive storms. Um, it's all terrifying shit yeah. to me, but... <laughs> What's it like for an English surfer abroad? It's actually quite good because people don't take you seriously for a start. You know, they're like, oh, where are you from? Oh, England. All right, mate, yeah. Like, you know, so there's never any pressure. And as English people, we're always pretty polite and easy to get along with. I've, I've always I've found it's been a real bonus, like, travelling as a surfer as being British. The Hawaiians always, they've always liked you. Because, like, obviously, everyone, you get the stereotypes of your nationality, you know, or whatever, and... And uh, I think that the British surfer has actually got a pretty good one. Interesting about stereotypes. I've got to ask you a question, guys. I was thinking about this. I was reading up here. Are there any black surfers? Yeah. Well, they only surf. 
Yeah. If... I go, because we don't swim, do we? I was like, <laughs> in the Olympics. Well, considering how much water we're surrounded by in a lot of places, like you said, yeah. it's like, where's the representative? And I was thinking, oh, I wonder if it's the same in surfing, but there are black surfers. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah. Are they stylish? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, like, like if you, you go to Hawaii, there's every colour race, you know, oh, like brilliant. whatever, you know, like, because it's just, it's just, if you, you grow up, you're around it, you know, like, it's second nature to all of those. Obviously, there's obvious similarities, but what differences are there between the English and the American scene? It's hard to sort of say, like, pinpoint a scene. I sort of don't really see myself as part of a scene. I'm like, I'm sort of just doing my own thing. Oh, this but... is my, my misunderstanding, but you do the big wave thing. Yeah. And then there's the other guys that do the style and the flash, yeah, and it yeah. seems to me that they're very distinct, very different. Yeah, because professional surfing would be, you'd say, that's contest surfing. I wish I could do, but I can't. I haven't got that string to my bow, you know? Like, And as much as I tried, as much as I wanted to do it when I was a kid, or in my 20s, like I just never really made a, a heat in a competition, you know. Um, but that's what you'd say professional surfing is. The, the world tour, the QS, all the contests, which get held in good ways, but not always big ways. So, yeah, explain to me the, you know, the details of contest surfing. It's like usually quite flashy, quite quick, quite energetic. You know, and you're doing turns and you're trying to do, you know, surf as critically as you can uh, on a wave and you get scored out of 10. Some people could say it's quite subjective, like what you might like, I might not like, or vice versa. And then how do you put a point system on that? <laughs> I, I, I don't know how they do that. But that's the contest scene. And then you get like a qualifying series, then you have the world tour. The world tour go around the world to all the best places. The qualifying series is a hard slog around the world, trying to get enough points to get on the world tour, you know? What is it that attracts you to the whole the big wave thing particularly? Is it about, is, is it to do with facing fears or doing shit that other people can't do? Why, um, the, big, why the big wave? Because no, it's kind of taking your life in your hands. You're a family man, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I just like it. I've always done it because I've enjoyed it and not for anything else. And I think that's quite true. Like, I just really enjoy it, you know? I'm not trying to do it, I'm not trying to do it to get coverage. I'm not trying to do it to get a sponsor. I just love it. Of course you get scared, of course, you know. But when you're in those moments of like, yeah, which they could be life or death, yeah, yeah of course, like, you shit your pants. But I quite like that. Nothing else matters. You're in that moment, like, shit's going down real quick and you could either be the surfer or you could be... Or fish food, sorry. <laughs> no, but you could be driving the jet ski, you know, like doing safety for your mate, yeah. you know, and you know that his only chance of, like, he's not going to go and call the Coast Guard or, you know, like, it's just you and him, you know, like, and you've got to get him out of that situation. You end up building a real bond with a few guys which you go through, like, situations and scenarios which not many people go through because you because you are camaraderie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. you you're relying on them so much, and you you're putting all all your trust in them, and vice versa. And there isn't anyone you can call. There isn't any like emergency service that can get you out of that situation. It's like you're relying on each other and your trust there. And I suppose you were talking about like the scene, or and I suppose like thinking about it. Actually, that is my scene. You know, like those guys that actually we meet in the weirdest places, like you know, on the west coast of Ireland in the freezing cold and we'll, we'll be there one day surfing massive waves and then I don't see him for like a month and then all of a sudden I'll see him down in Portugal because we're chasing the same thing. We're all chasing these waves. No, I got, you know what I've got to ask you? What's your wife's take on all of this? We don't really, we don't really talk about it, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, maybe like, that's saying a lot no, no. in a weird way. Maybe that's saying a lot that she doesn't No, like, like she just, you know, it's always been part of what I've done. She's not a nine-to-five person herself. I had a, like a little sponsorship deal which funded my winter trips and then I was working as a lifeguard and doing some bit of part-time plumbing in the summer. So I like worked from like March to October uh, lifeguarding and then 
like chase waves in, in the winter. And I, I lost my sponsorship. And uh, at this point, so I, I had two kids. Was that during the recession or something? Uh, just like the surf industry sort of would get, it was just on its knees a little bit. And the, the brand that I was sponsored by was an American brand. And they decided that we were going to pull out of surfing altogether. Just I found out via email, like, you know, you know, that's it. Contract's not getting renewed. And I was at that point then, I was like early 30s, two children, renting a house in Braunton. And it's like, shit, like this is it, you know, like the dream, the dream's over, you know, like maybe I will have to go and get, you know, that job, you know, that nine to five. And, and we had, had that real surreal moment where it's like, you know, like it's almost, it was almost like replaying like a movie, you know, like I was sitting in the kitchen, the kids are in bed. And I was like, shit, you know, like, like I've got to go and get a proper job, haven't I? And she's like, do you know what, what do you really want to do? And I was like, well, I definitely don't want to go plumbing. And she goes, yeah, but so what do you really want to do? And I was like, well, I just want to write, you know, like, I just, all I want to do is surf the biggest waves in the world. And she was like, rather than like, well, get your ass down, Barnes, we'll get a job, get the tools back in the van and go plumbing. She was like, well, just, you just got to make it happen. Like, you know, like just, just you got to put everything into it. Because at those points you're vulnerable and you're thinking shit, like, Actually, maybe I have got to like throw the towel, throw in. the towel in, or like give up, or you know sort my priorities out. Because my dad Grow was up. like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, my dad was yeah. like, sort your priorities out. You know, you got you got family. You know, like you, what are you doing? You know, you should be, you know, the provider. The, yeah, yeah, or doing the yeah, shit stuff you hate it? just because you know. And her perspective was, no, you don't have to do that. You know, like if you really want to do something, go for it. From then, I went on, and then that year I got a massive wave and. And it, it could have been very, very different. You know, if she'd just said one other thing, and I could have gone, oh, actually, you know, okay, yeah. I'll... You could be fixing my frozen tap. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. So your thing is like a very personal quest. Yeah, it is a personal quest. I shied away from being called like a big wave surfer f- for a long time because, like, what what is a big wave? What is a big wave? Well, we're doing it. No, but seriously, how? No, I don't know. Meters, feet. What are we talking? I don't know because. Well, some, how do they measure it? Seriously, the, what's his name? Garrett, your man, the, the main dude. Yeah. What was the? How big was his, that wave? His wave got measured at seventy-eight feet. 
Um, which is pretty big. Um, Shoot. But how they measure that, I don't know. You know, like, and the thing is, is that it, you can go oh, roughly, it roughly looks about that big. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really measure ways and feet, it's just how they feel, you know. How will you know when you've done the... I don't get that. I don't, how because you, you always... It, it, but that's... It's not like... Okay, so you're not... It's not quantifiable as such, is no, what you No, but it's not like... so. And, but which is really exciting because it's never-ending. And that's like... So if I was like a, a mountain climber, I want to go and climb the biggest mountain in the world. It's fixed. It's fixed. It's I've fixed. done it. Done. Ever-changing waves, ever-changing possibilities. Ev it's, all, it's, it's endless. And that's... that's but the, only you'll ever know. Yeah, but that's, that's yeah. all that matters. That's a trip. So, so, which That's is really admirable. exciting. So I could go and ride the biggest wave ever tomorrow, yeah? But then the next week, there might be a bigger storm and someone might ride a bigger wave. So it's, and, and then, uh, you know, like, or I might ride the biggest wave, but didn't ride it how I wanted to ride it. So I might just want to change my line and think about how I want it to be deeper or want to, you know, do a turn on it. It's never ending, and which is, so therefore that's the motivation to carry on. I and was that's, asking, and, what is your motivation? Yeah, because, and that's why like, those guys like Garrett, um, Ross Clark Jones, like these guys, which are like, they're like in their 50s and they're still like some of the best guys in the world. Oh, so it's, no, like, it's not like football where you're out of the game at like nah. whatever age. Yeah, if, you, if you've still got that motivation and you've still got that drive, it's like, keep going, you know? Keep going so you can't go any longer. And I think and that's the, this is the classic thing, isn't it? Everyone wants to put like an age, are you too old for that now? Right. <laughs> Only you decide, you know, like, if I tell myself I'm too old, I'm too old. But mm. if I'm going, no, actually, I'm still loving it. Body still works pretty much. Knees are still just about turning over. Back's going to get better. So <laughs> you, you mentioned the back then. I like I said, it's, it's a surprise to be sitting here talking to you now because I remember the news report that felt like it was only about to me about six weeks ago, if that. Yeah. And here you are talking to me. And apparently, in that wipeout which I saw on TV. I mean, you look mashed up, dude. You broke your back, right? Yeah, yeah. I broke my. So what the hell are you doing? <laughs> I don't get it. Tell me. <laughs> I crushed my L2 and um, fractured it. This was in Portugal, by the in way? In Portugal, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was actually a month ago, month, month on Wednesday. The body's amazing. It heals and it's only a bone. I was lucky, I, you know, I was really lucky. But I was also really lucky because I worked with amazing guys and they, they rescued me and they, the teamwork and the understanding that of, of what I'd pretty, we, pre, I pretty much knew what I'd done. I didn't know to what extent. So, like, you can communicate with that. I was, I was pretty much in, the ho in hospital within an hour of doing it, which is pretty, which is pretty good turnaround. Any second thoughts on your life choices after that event? No, not it, quite the opposite, to be honest. I think it makes you... Want to get there harder, yeah. faster, stronger. Yeah, well, yeah, because, like, the wipeout looks probably worse than it, it was. Big wave surfing is very about pulling the trigger at the right time. So you've got to put everything on the line at some point, but it's about putting it on the line at the right time because... There's no point in coming out the gates early and injuring myself on a swell, which is only like 20 feet. I was really fit, really confident, really like, and I was feeling like this was going to be my year. Like I sort of mapped it out and I'd, and I'd seen a few waves that morning and we were checking it, like really good lefts. And so I sort of knew, knew the sort of lines and the approach that I was going to take. It was going to be very committed, very like, like all or nothing. And it was just one of those waves where I faded super deep. So I was like trying to surf the wave as critical as possible. And I wanted to come up and into the barrel. So like sort of riding in inside the wave. You're like, 
And I've, I've seen it in the movies. Yeah, yeah. and then that, that's like for any surfer, that's a dream. But doing that on like a 50, 60 foot wave is like, it's like heaven. <laughs> so, um, and the way I read the wave, it just everything. So I read it like I was going to pull in and, and then it, everything changed super quickly. The wave changed shape and I was like, yeah, all or nothing. So the bit that you classify as riding a wave, that's only seconds? Seconds, yeah, but those seconds can be they feel like, like a long time. hours. You know, if yeah. you're if you're like really in a good flow and you get one of those magic waves, shit's in slow mo. Water droplets, like lumps, you know, like how how everything moves. You know, like it's almost like a form of meditation or out of body experience. It's like you're you know? in the zone at that moment. Yeah, and, and, everything and comes together. Yeah. And that's what everyone sort of says. Oh, that's the adrenaline. It's like no, it's like super slow mo, like like meditation. <laughs> Like Nirvana, man, that yeah. moment when it yeah, all clicks. And, and that's yeah, yeah. the addictive thing, you know, like, that's what you want, you know, like, I don't want something to happen really fast and, like, rah, you know, like, I want it to be slow, I don't know, it's like trippy, I don't know, what you'd sort of describe that as, but, and they're the things you go, shit, I couldn't live without that, couldn't live without that feeling. And I think that's the thing that I probably got when I was seven at the beach at Saunton, and I've just, just taken it up a level every year, <laughs> you know. And that's, that's interesting. Thing. And that's, that's the thing. I think that's that. I can remember. Capturing like, the magic of your youth through yeah. riding these waves. Yeah, and, and I think that moment, like, I can remember the, the wave I got. I can remember standing up and it was just a bit of white water at Saunton. And, but, you know, thinking, whoa, you know, like, and it all sort of slowing down. And I've, I suppose I've been sort of chasing that feeling then, you know, like. That chasing that high. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. A lot of my mates surf and. You know, we all grew up surfing together and some people reach their ceiling, you know, like, well, they don't want to push it anymore. They know their boundaries, whereas I just never really reached mine. Not yet, you know, and, and I still haven't. You know, even I'm sat here with a broken back, but I can honestly say through surfing big ways, but I can honestly say I've never had a situation that's put me off. I've never had a bad situation in the sea. Nothing's ever happened to me that put me off. Tell me about, a little bit about board technologies. I've got this mate, Sean Stussy, and his life is dedicated to like handmade boards. I don't know if, I don't know if you know he had a yeah. clothing company way yeah, back yeah. in the day. And uh, well, he's a distant friend. He lives in Hawaii, but yeah. that's all he does is he makes boards. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me about board technology, because I've never quite understood it. It's obviously like an art form, it seems like. The way he approaches it is, anyway. Yeah, it is. I worked in a surfboard factory for years, over 10 years, and it's hard work. It's a labour of love. You spend like all day shaping like a board, and if you qualify it to actually like how many hours it takes to make a board and how much it sells for, it's probably right. like it's not really. But it's that a passion, worth. right? It's a passion, yeah. And then, but it, yeah, it also, it's also an industry where now obviously there's machine machine made boards, um, you know, boards made in China where they just you know, but you'll always get artisans. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who who handcraft and really love and. And are, and are passionate about what they do. Because I think he's got a new company now called uh, Double S. Right. You know, I worked for uh, Gulfstream Surfboards in Woolacoon, which is a surfboard company. And yeah, it's, it's hard work, but everyone in, in the factory passionate about it. They love it. You know, they love what they do. You know, and, and they all surf, and they're all completely into it. I don't want to ask you. Like I say, do my homework. And I read this thing. What the behind the line? Behind the lines. Lines. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about that. So this is just actually when I lost my sponsor and I was telling you like we had that surreal moment with Katie in the in the kitchen and her telling me, you know, just to go for it uh, without a sponsor and, you know, chase that dream. And Every man needs a Katie, <coughs> dude. I tell you, I love her. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> so one of my mates who works, he was working in a, in a local surf shop, he just bought a camera and he was just like, OK, I want to document you chasing world's biggest waves. 
you're going to go and surf the biggest wave and I'll film it and we'll make a webisode. And it's like, yeah, that sounds good. Let's get this idea, pitch it. So we were coming up to London and pitching to like various companies and trying to get a supporter for it so we can have a bit of budget. And we were asking for, you know, not a lot of money, just enough to cover like expenses, yeah. And it would make sure like I could go and surf that winter without a sponsor. And, and it was like, yeah, we're going to surf the biggest wave in the world. And they're like, okay, right, that sounds amazing. But when is it coming? And we're like, oh, well, we're not sure. Um, like, okay, right. Uh, well, we might. It might not be the biggest way. You know, like. So we're like pitching high, and as we were talking, we we're almost talking ourselves out of this, out of it, out of these deals and stuff. Because we couldn't. You can't. You can't guarantee it. You know, like you're working with the weather and Mother Nature, but that doesn't really cut the mustard when you're talking about budgets and, and deadlines. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, and and delivery dates. But we actually, this company uh, called Epic TV, they liked the idea, they gave us a load of cash, and we went on a mission, and it was almost like everything played in. We signed the contract, and then the storms were just like getting bigger and bigger every, every month. It was, it was a few years ago when we had that crazy winter of these mental storms. It just was just ramping up. And I was like, done the most big wave surfing I'd ever done in Europe. And we were, I was like to and from, from Ireland to Portugal, northern Spain. And it ended up with a pinnacle. I got this ridiculous wave in, in Nazare. Like, it just made like headlines in the UK. And, and we were all documenting it, like everything. And the webisode did really well. Like, I forget the amount of numbers, but it, it outperformed anything we thought we could do. You know, I, I was unsponsored surfer from, from Devon, you know, <laughs> and we smashed it. And that's when I sort of, you, you sort of, then you sort of understand, okay, well, maybe there's value in producing things, you know, like, like days are gone where someone's just going to pay me to go surf. But if I'm producing something or some content, then maybe actually that's a job, yeah. you know. And, and Next stop, Vice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and that's that was the the webisode. It's, it's, I think it's, it's on YouTube now, and you can watch it. It's... We've been using the term professional surfer. What does that exactly entail? What kind of people sponsor you? <laughs> What's it entail? I don't know. I sometimes ask myself that. Like, what, you know, what do I actually do? So yeah, I, I work for for brands, brand ambassador for for Red Bull, for for Jeep, for G Shock watches, uh, Sharps Brewery, the beer company. And then, like, there's a couple of local firms which I make surfing stuff for. It's like Tiki Wetsuits is a sponsor, Salt Rock Clothing, which is like another local company in, in Devon. I suppose my job's like creating content. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, I do a lot of stuff yeah. with brands. I mean, you know, they're the only people who got money these days. And what's interesting about the brands is, is this term they use, which it, what is it? Cool by association. <laughs> You know, which is, it's kind of hit because quite often they'll sort of fund your thing but not tell you what to do and expect you to wear fucking logos on your forehead. Yeah. You know, and in a lot of instances, to me, they're, in my business, they're hipper than the record companies and the film companies because they'll want the logos and the signs and where's the sh pack shot here and there. So, um, you know, it's funny, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 60 years old, I'm as old as rock and roll. I remember when it was cool to say, you know, I'm with the band. In the 21st century, I'm much more likely to say I'm with the brand. With you know, the brand. Because you know, they've been yeah. funding a shitload of my projects too, including yeah. Red Bull, funny yeah. enough. Yeah, I'd never dreamed of working with such big brands like in a million years. You know, 10 years ago when I was fixing toilets in Barnstable, thinking that I'd be wearing a Red Bull cap and driving a Jeep, wearing my Casio G-Shock, you know, like, <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? Like, and and now, now you're just part of, part of it. And, and I'm really fortunate, I really... And it's a byproduct of your dream. You, uh, well, yeah, but it's also stuff that I use and, and need. I suppose I'm really quite lucky with the brands and what I do fit, they fit very well. 
Yeah, you ain't getting funded by Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so I think it, you know, look, it's stuff that you need, and and so which and you, you know, can actually honestly believe in. Yeah, that yeah. always helps. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know and, I, and, I recently and, and, done. I recently did some stuff for Rizla. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll say no more. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, stuff. It's stuff that you're. Uh, also, I've done some stuff for Jack Daniels in my time, yeah. which I highly recommend. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one more thing I want to ask you that really impressed me was, um, I think it was to do with you putting together the behind the lines thing. The alley quote. That alley quote. Yeah. Tell me why that alley quote was so well, inspirational to you and well, what it was. It was, um, it was actually Mikey, because obviously I was going through that thing where like I lost my sponsor, I was, you know, thinking, it was almost, because I've been, you know, you think, oh shit, everything's just, everything's going pot you know like I'm just losing it I'm like that's it the dream's over and and it was that Ali quote that inspired the behind the lines the project you know and, and he and he Mikey actually so Mikey Corker was the guy that um I was working with doing the filming and um and he sort of produced produced them I suppose um filmed edited and um and he sent me the quote after like I lost my sponsors and I was thinking I was gonna have to go plumbing <laughs> um uh was so this is the quote, the fight is won or lost, far away from the witnesses, behind the lines, in the gym and out there on the, long, on the road, long before I dance under those lights. And that was sort of like, his, his idea was to, like, all people see was... Like a moment. A, a, yeah, a surfer going down a wave, a big wave, which is quite a powerful image. But all the shit that goes into it before that, you know, the travelling, the, the last minute decisions, saying goodbye to the family, you know, all, all those sort of things like, you know, got to quickly do the school run, then do the school run, then, then quickly get back, chuckle the shit in the car, drive to the airport, but I've got to be back in two days' time because Katie, the yeah, yeah, so I mean, like, Katie can't get there on Friday afternoons and mum's away. How do you prep your body for this kind of torturous exertion? How do you do that? How do you prep for that? Well, I work with a trainer and we sort of come up with our own sort of... Uh, program that we, we use. We actually do retreats now. This is like something we just started doing that's called SurfIt. And it's basically, we can teach you the skills to give you the confidence in the sea. And we're not gonna say, okay, well, we're gonna take you out surfing, you know, 50 foot waves. But if your big wave is two feet, we can give you the confidence to push it to four feet. Because I guess a lot of it's mental, right? Lo loads of it's mental, but it's loads of it's um, understanding what we're capable of. And we always, yeah, you know, we always think we're not capable of something. Oh, I can't do this. Like, you know, I, I'm not able to hold my breath for this long. And I, I've done like a lot of breathing courses and things like that over the last few years, just trying to get that edge, you know. And and it's understanding that the, the body, it's like it's a machine. You, you, you do this, you do that, you can do that. And the breathing is one of those things. Like, most of us don't breathe efficiently, but if we do breathe efficiently, and we do these certain things that it's amazing how far you can push things. And that's the same for like moving underwater, just by breath, you can... Maximise energy and yeah. things and output, Yeah, and, and the guy that was doing the courses, like, he actually teaches freediving, but he was saying that he would, was doing stuff with professional golfers, footballers, like, because it's about oxygenating the blood and making the, the body more efficient. And, you know, by doing that, you can control your heart rate, you can control your... Fear, anxiety, I don't know, what, you know, all those other things. And that's if we go back to our breath. And that, therefore, controlling your breath can control your mind. It's funny because my wife teaches Pilates and she was telling me about how this teacher, Joseph Pilates, his main thing was teaching people how to breathe properly. I'm like, what the fuck? We've been doing it 
for thousands and thousands of years, I haven't noticed there's a problem. Yeah. But, but, what... but, but the thing is, is that we're born and we, we start breathing, we breathe amazingly. And as we grow older, we get pick up habits, we sort of that thing where, you know, guys walk around with a, ch you know, just breathing on top of their chest, you know, and you're not using, you're trying to suck your belly in all the time. And, you know, like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's just, and then, and then before you know it, you're only using a fraction of your lungs. You're not maximising <laughs> your, your potential. You're not maximising your potential. And, you know. So that's and, why I'm falling down. <laughs> Got it, okay. <laughs> but uh, I, I find it, because I, I never thought in a million years that I'd be into that sort of stuff. I thought, you know, breathing and meditation and yoga and all about, that. Yeah. Like, and I'll be like, and now. Um, it's central it, to what it's, you do. It's, it's key. And it's actually sometimes it's more important because physically, like, you can't beat the ocean, yeah, physically, no matter what you do. It doesn't matter how I can go and bench press whatever and lift this or, you know, like, be the strongest person, but you're not going to beat the ocean. But you can go with it and flow with it and, uh, and, and understand it. Could you talk me through the sequence of events going into a big wave from the towing right up as if it's a movie? Talk me through it. Like, if you're towing, if it's really, really big, so you're getting towed in by a jet ski, you know, I'll be in the water on my board and you have like that relationship with the guy who's driving the ski and you kind of work together he's sort of you know each other quite intimately and what you sort of like what sort of waves you like or how you like to approach the waves like I can remember the wave that I got like in 2014 which is one of my biggest waves probably ever actually still now and and this is what I love about the ocean is that you can't control it and I'd actually had a bad ankle and I was just there to tow Garrett around I was there to get him the waves I've been towing him for hours and it, we just weren't getting the way yeah, we just have a shocker really like the waves weren't that good and but it was fuck it was massive but stormy and horrible and Garrett we were like okay yeah we just swapped over and he's like oh, do you want to just see how you feel and bear in mind like my ankle was sprained I'd sprained it in Ireland like two weeks before or a week before and um and I just literally got up and said oh I'll see how I feel and I got up and it felt it didn't feel too bad and then this set comes like it's like the biggest set triple of anything that's ever come in like that day or before I think I've ever seen you know and, and Garrett sort of looks at me and was like well do you want it <laughs> like and in and those are the moments those split seconds and, and it would be easy to go no no I don't want it I don't want it like and it was like fuck yeah right <laughs> you know like this is this isn't going to come again you know this is this is going to be my Everest and a moment in time and you miss that or you bottle it and the second that I said yeah right I knew that I was going to go into that wave at 100 miles an hour and Garrett was going to get me in the perfect position and, and the rest was up to me. And I can remember, like, approaching, I looked around and the wave was, like, wedging up and sort of doubling up and it's almost like the whole thing's surreal. And I, like, going Mac 10, like, trying to keep the board in the water but feeling, again, like, we, you know, we talked about things slowing down and, like, the, the how the sounds don't even sound real. Uh, I, I can remember getting down that wave thinking right okay this is fucking massive but then I could hear crashing it seemed like an hour before the white water hit me it's almost like an out of body experience you know and, and you're thinking about the line you want so you know the w waves is constantly changing and you no know two waves are the same and, and it's like okay yeah I want it to be critical but I don't want to too critical and I don't want to make a stupid mistake and catch a rail and fall off. But like, so I'm like calibrating as you're. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, yes. as, and everything's and everything's moving and you know and, and then and then that that crashing wave, the sound just like I remember it just catching up and hitting me like a truck. And then you go through that thing where like you don't know what's up or what's down and you're getting smashed. And then I'm usually 
searching for my pull cord on my vest because we have like inflatable vests and I usually end up like pulling my like, fucking hood like a wetsuit hood with toggles on like, you're pulling that like, and you go it's not working oh, it's, oh, it's the wrong toggle back so yeah then before you know you're up and the thing so like I remember that wave and I wasn't that impressed with that wave because it was so bumpy but it, it was definitely a slow-mo one And but also getting rescued the buzz on my mate's face like Hugo rescued me and they're, they're, they're buzzing they didn't even surf the way. They're just they're there, and they they. But seeing being part contact high. Yeah, but that being part of something and being part of a moment, you know. And I can remember that. I can relate to that for like when I towed Garrett into the world record wave. You know, like it was something just to be a part. And surfing's quite a selfish thing. You know, like you you're on your own mission. You're on your own board. It's your wave. You know, like but being part of uh, a team or a group or just you know, it's nice to be part of something. Isn't it? Yeah, you, working towards a common yeah, goal, yeah, I yeah. like that, yeah, yeah. So the record wave with Garrett, the world record, still the world record. I get asked a lot, oh, aren't you gutted that it was Garrett and not you, you know, like, because it could have easily been you. And I was like, no, not at all, you know, like, it's, it's cool, like, I'm stoked to be part of something, you know, like, I couldn't have ridden that wave at that point as well as he did. And it's just been part of something. And it doesn't always have to be about you, it's nice to be part of something. And there's lots more waves in the sea. Yeah, and you never know. And that's the exciting thing. I know a lot more about surfing than I did an hour ago, and I know what... <laughs> It's definitely not for me. <laughs> I'm keeping my feet on the ground, dude, I tell you. I tell you. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for season two of Joining the Dots, which is in production as we speak. In the meantime, you can find Huck magazine at all good news agents, and you can go to huckmag.com to subscribe. That's H-U-C-K-Mag.com for daily original journalism, cutting-edge reportage photography, and all the killer content. HuckMag.com Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.